Welcome to the Activist Insight podcast, which takes you through the top shareholder activism stories as told by Activist Insight Monthly. In this edition, we'll be talking about activism in Japan, the subject of Activist Insight's new report, with the authors of it, Josh Black, Yuri Strata and Jason Booth. The report is available to download at activistinsight.com forward slash reports. Activist investors publicly subjected 20 companies based in Japan to activist demands in the first four months of this year, one more than in the same period of 2019 and the highest number on record, according to data from Activist Insight Online. Last week, the implementation of the Foreign Exchange and Foreign Trade Act came into effect and this had spooked activist investors when a draft was unveiled in October. So let's start with Josh Black, Activist Insights Editor-in-Chief. Josh, why do a special report about shareholder activism in Japan? So this is something that became increasingly obvious to us last year as uh, Japan became the third busiest market for activism in the world, just after the US and Australia. We could see that the level of activity was increasing and big name US activists were starting to take new positions in the country, which, if you look at our report, is a theme that has been fairly stock start. So you had a spell in the 80s and then the 90s. And a few years ago, sort of 2013, you had third point partners launching a number of campaigns. Then you had a brief period where it didn't seem like there was as much going on. Uh, governance reforms continued, but you know, in a fairly unexciting way. And then suddenly, sort of 2017, 18 and 19, activity really picked up. Value Act uh, Capital Partners took a position in Olympus at the beginning of 2019 and joined the board. Third Point re-entered Sony and repeated their demands in a slightly modified format. So after many false starts, you had real optimism that this was a market that was catching fire. You also had high valuations in the US, which were starting to depress the amount of activism last year. And people seemed really kind of switched on to the opportunity of Japan, feeling that the pressure for change was gathering pace and you know all that cash that was sitting on balance sheets, all the operational opportunities for change were really starting to ripen. And we felt that that had continued into 2020. And so the first few months of this year were equally busy. And, you know, Elliott Management took a position in SoftBank. Value Act has taken more positions. So it's a really exciting area. And, you know, as I think you mentioned in the intro, activism has kind of kept pace this year, uh, which is not something you can say about most markets. And to Jason now. Perhaps you can fill in some of the historical perspective. How long a history does activism have in Japan and why has it been so stop-start? Well, activism dates back to the late 1980s, but it, it really picked up after the millennium. When Japan was seen by activists as having a lot of opportunities for activists. They had fat balance sheets and poor corporate governance. Some people have pointed out that the entire nation was trading at less than book value, but they faced a huge resistance at that time to sort of demands for change in the way that business was done. The so-called Koretsu business culture of kind of cross holdings and lifetime employment had really done very well for Japan following World War II. And there was a lot of desire to hold on to that. So you had the government, the media and the courts and the public kind of systematically siding with the companies in opposition to activists. And activists at the time 
could say took a fairly blunt approach to uh, their tactics in Japan. They were very much focused on uh, returning cash to shareholders and weren't very interested the eyes of the Japanese of taking a longer term approach and really helping to grow companies. So you had, uh, you know, the courts branding uh, activists as abusive acquirers and the media called them, you know, vulture investors. So things didn't really change until the financial crisis of 2008. And after that, where Japan's economy continued to lag. Importantly, you had an aging population uh, increasingly dependent on um, investments in stocks to pay their pensions. So you started to see the uh, pension funds starting to put pressure. And then you had a change in government with uh, Shinzo Abe in 2012 coming into power. And things really started to change after that. And Yuri, what are some of the main themes adopted by activists at Japanese companies? Yeah, so it's not a surprise for anyone that activists have mostly been making balance sheet-related demands, such as dividends and share buybacks. According to our data, uh, which has been published in the report, around a third of demands in 2019 were a balance sheet versus a tenth for the US and Europe. This is because Japanese companies have been hoarding cash, which in turn has been depressing the return on equity. Many activists feel that this idle funds could be put to more productive uses or return to shareholders. And most of these demands are at least partially successful. And is there any sign of that changing then? Yes. So the activists I've spoken with said they have been increasingly speaking with their companies about operations, and in part because the Japanese executives are keener to talk about the operational side of the business rather than balance sheet. And this trend has not yet reflected in the data. But what we noted was an increase in demands for asset sales last year. Another interesting area to watch is M&A. In 2019, we saw some groundbreaking bidding wars at Uniso Holdings and Nuclear Technology. Uh, as a result of this bidding war, Uniso appreciated threefold. I think that if this market continues to develop, it could attract all sorts of activists especially if there is a realization that value can be extracted via M&A as well. And coming back to Jason, why is politics so important to the future of activism in Japan? Well, the current wave of activism in Japan was inspired by political changes with Shinzo Abe coming into power and putting in a lot of reforms as far as governance, so-called ebonomics, putting requirements on companies to implement better corporate governance and to focus on shareholder returns more. So if those political changes are reversed, then the the fear is that activism could have less opportunity in, in Japan. And Abe will be coming up for an election in the next year or so, at which point there is a chance that the government could change and there is some concern that things could be rolled back. With the financial crisis currently going on, that might actually increase such concerns. We're already seeing some pushback from companies as far as returning assets or buyback and balance sheets improvements being called for by activists, citing the disruption of coronavirus on the economy. But there is a lot of evidence to show that any rollback will be limited because the changes that have taken place as far as governance and the financial markets are really so important in Japan. 
as we said, with the aging population and its increasing need for better returns on pensions, this is kind of critical to the future stability of Japan. And the younger generation that is now starting to fill the workforce and increasingly are important as the electorate, they have no memory of the old way of doing business in Japan. They're much more open to new ideas as far as business and finance, according to what people in Japan are telling us, and that they will be less receptive to calls to roll back the clocks. And finally, Josh, what is the future for US activism in Japan? Yeah, so obviously it's very difficult to predict the exact future at this moment in time with so much uncertainty. What we can say is that US activists have made new commitments to Japanese companies since the pandemic started and have held positions that were taken before, even increasing the pressure or pushing for further changes in some cases. So US activism in Japan seems fairly strong at the moment. Obviously, with a market crash, and it's hard to say whether this is a market crash in the US at the moment with stocks recovering so strongly, there is a bias towards investing closer to home where things are more predictable and you probably know the opportunities a little bit better. That said, Japan seems like a market which is very attractive at the moment, not being as badly affected by the coronavirus as you know, the US and UK, for example. So it could be that activists see Japan as something as a safe haven for the near future. One of the points that I've made in my columns for Activist Insight subsequent to the report is if Japanese companies come through the pandemic only requiring a small fraction of the cash they're holding on their balance sheets, then the argument for using that to boost return on equity becomes even stronger because you can't say that you need to be quite so defensive with your balance sheet. So there is a, there is an argument for saying that US activism will tick up in the near future. And I think it's also worth mentioning that the Foreign Exchange and Foreign Trade Act, or FEFTA, which has now come into force, looks like it won't be the deterrent that some US activists felt it could be uh, when it was first launched in, in October. So the expectation is that even for companies in the higher segment of the restricted industries, US activist investments in those sectors will be rubber stamped and they will be able to accumulate positions and push for changes with very few limitations. So it looks like activism is set to continue to grow. That's all for this episode of the Activist Insight podcast. A reminder that the report titled Shareholder Activism in Japan is available to download from activistinsight.com forward slash reports. Last week, we released a podcast accompanying the May issue of Activist Insight Monthly. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to the magazine by emailing subscriptions at activistinsight.com. For comments or questions about the podcast, or if you want something discussed on a future episode, please email press at activistinsight.com. Please as well do rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using to help others access our reporting. I'm Kieran Paul. Thank you for listening.